0: Begin the message today. I want to tell you um, in the beginning a little story that I remembered when I was preparing this message. I was having a conversation with a young woman. It hasn't been too long ago. She actually doesn't go to the bridge, she uh, is going to another church, but she recognized me and she asked me, uh, She said, I want to ask you a question. And I said, Sure. And uh, she said, um, I 'm a, I'm a Christian. she said, I'm a follower of Jesus. She said, "But I'm having a hard time." She said, "I keep going back and doing things I used to do, and I just feel so bad, I feel so guilty, and then I wonder sometimes if I really did commit my life to Christ, and I wonder if I really am a Christian." And she said, "I'm just struggling. I'm just having a, high, a hard time." She, said, um, She said, "Could you recommend some books to me?" And I said, the Bible. and uh, No, (laughs) hashtag word of God. And, um, but but I didn't say that, but um, I thought it. And uh, I said, so I did recommend a Bible to her. Every time somebody comes to me and says, I want a new Bible, I want a Bible I can understand, I want a Bible I can get a lot out of, and I'm about to give that Bible to you right now, but it doesn't mean it's the only good one, it's just the one I recommend and I always prefer is the New International, not the New International, but the New Living Translation. New International is fine, but New Living Translation. New Living Translation. And get it in the uh, Life Application Bible. And at the top of the page is the Scripture, and at the bottom is how you apply that Scripture to your life. It's an awesome Bible. I use it all the time in my sermon preparation. It's a great, great Bible. So... um, I told her about that, and uh, I recommended a couple of other good books to her that I thought would help her, and uh, she said, because what I want to do, Pastor, and this sounds so good, and and I want to tell you, don't say amen when I say this, because I'm going to tell you that that's not really the right answer, okay? (laughs) She said, I want to get as much of God as I can get, and I understand what that means, I get what that means. I've said that myself. I've told God that. I've told other people that I want to get as much of God as I can get. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? That's awesome. That's great. I said, but really I want you to think differently because God can't give you any more than he's already given you. He's made his whole self available to you. What you've got to do is make sure God is getting more of you. See, God is 100% sold out to us. He's given everything to us. He's laid it all on the line for us. God isn't holding back anything that you can't have. What he's waiting for is more of you. He wants you. He wants more of your life. I want you to begin to think that way. This is a mindset today. This is a basic, simple principle of the way you think about your relationship with God that can turn everything around for you, that can get you out of that spiritual rut you're in. Instead of saying, I want more of God, start saying, God, how do I give you more of me? I want you to have more of me. I want you to have my hands. I want you to have my feet. I want you to have my mouth. I want you to have my mind. I want you to have more of me. So we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture. Some of you have probably even memorized this Scripture before. And um, we're going to see what it tells us. Let's look in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You guys know that, don't you? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's look at it. Now, you saw, I believe, uh, the slide. I didn't talk about it. But you know, if you want the sermon notes, info at bridgechurch.cc. Uh, If you're going to put something on social media, it's hashtag MindCraft, and uh, just remember that. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is Paul writing, and he uh, he is writing this from where? Does anybody know? Prison. He's in prison. Matter of fact, when Paul got thrown into jail, I was thinking about that this week. He probably thought, well, God must want another book of the Bible. You know, when Paul was going into a city, he didn't call ahead and see what kind of hotels they had. He called in to see what kind of jailhouses they had because that's where he was going to be. You know, So Paul's in jail. And Paul says, therefore I urge you, what? Brethren. So who's he talking to? Yes, he's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have received Christ as their personal Savior. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, fellow Christians, so if you're here today, let's say that you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet because you're not really sure you believe everything you're hearing from us. I mean, you kind of like the music and you like the sound and you like the beat of the music, but some of the words that go up there, you know, you're not sure you're ready to buy into all that yet. Can I just say this to those of you who are here today like that? Welcome to church. Welcome to the bridge. Bring your questions. B- listen, bring your skepticism. Bring it. Because you know what? We've all had questions. Matter of fact, a lot of us who are following Jesus still got a bunch of questions. <laughs> Amen? And, and sometimes we're skeptical about things. So we welcome you. You know, you know the church world today has created new terms. And they call people like the ones I just described, seekers. And that's fine. You're, you're trying to find out. You're, you've realized your life isn't really working the way you've been doing it, and you want to see, well, what is this whole thing about God and the Bible and Jesus? What's that about? Let me, let me check that out. Let me see what that is. Well, we're glad you're here, and the bridge welcomes you. We've been criticized before by saying, go to the bridge. They'll take anybody. I think that ought to be our mission statement. The bridge, come on in. We'll take anybody <laughs> How do y'all think about that? Life-giving. I think that's life-giving, don't you? You know what else I think? I think Jesus would take anybody because if he wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. He said, but he's talking to Christians here. He says, therefore I urge you, I I encourage you, I I push you. um, I I get behind you and, and give you that push, that encouragement, that influence. I'm trying to influence you, brethren, my fellow Christians, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable, which means well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual, which means rational. God didn't ask you for anything that isn't reasonable. It is your reasonable service of what? Worship. Look at the next verse. And do not be conformed to the world around you. Don't be conformed to the culture around you. You know, don't don't be conformed to, to what the culture tells you is right and wrong. So many people are being conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this age, this culture. But rather than being conformed, rather taking on the form of the world, Be transformed by, and here's how you're transformed, by the renewing of your mind, so that, here's what will happen when you do that, so that you may prove, and we'll get into this next week more, but so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable, again, meaning well-pleasing and perfect. Now, here's what this passage is telling us. This passage is telling us That the Christian life is primarily an act of worship. The Christian life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day. Sunday is not just the day of worship. Amen? Come on, church, get with me. The Christian life is primarily an act of worship. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go all through the day with your hands like this singing worship choruses. Because a lot of us have relegated worship to the time when we come here and we get urged by the people on the stage to worship God and we worship and we call that worship. Can I just tell you that that's a tiny little part of your worship life? What you do when we're all singing together, and I love that, I love that. I I enjoy that as much as anything I enjoy about the bridge and going to church is when I get to stand in the audience, sometimes I'm in the back. Uh, you know, just observing, and I'm back there with my hands up. Sometimes I bump on the front row uh, with my hands up, worshiping God. I love it, I love it, I love it. But that's not Pharaoh's only worship life. Your worship life, the Christian life, primarily is an act of worship in which we give ourselves. How many of you know you can lift your hands and sing worship choruses with tears flowing down your face and still be resisting God in your heart? Amen, amen. So don't be fooled. The enemy would love for you to believe that as long as you do what we've defined as worship, as long as you do that for about 20, 30 minutes a week, you're good to go. No, your whole life is to be a life of worship where every day you get up and you give yourself to God. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. Now, we're in Romans 12, but if you're going to read the whole book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 through 11 is about one thing, and then in the beginning of Romans 12, that's about a different thing. So let me tell you what what it is. In Romans 12 or Romans 1 through 11, Romans chapter 1 through 11, that's all about doctrine. And the book of Romans is an incredible, awesome book, Um, an amazing book. I tell you, I've done studies of the book of Romans when I was in school. I've done studies of the book of Romans many times on my own as a pastor. And I got to tell you, it is fresh every time. It's fresh every time. So let me just kind of break that book down for you a little bit. And we'll do it even more next week. But Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 is about doctrine. Listen, it's about the doctrine of salvation. It's actually about this if you want to make it really practical. Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 is about what God has done for us. And and again, we'll break that down next week even more. But that's what it's about. That's what Romans 1 through 11 is primarily about the doctrine of salvation or what God has done for us. So, when you get to Romans 12, the very first word of Romans 12 is, therefore, and let me tell you what that means, because I know you already know, but let me just say it, just refresh you. That means, since God has done all of that for us, therefore... Since God did all of this, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he's provided love for us, hope for us, mercy for us, grace for us. Since God did all that, in other words, therefore, because he did that, now chapter 12 is about how we respond. How we respond to the goodness of God. How we respond to how good God has been to us. So again, Just a little deeper Bible study this morning. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is doctrinal about salvation. And beginning with Romans 12 and 1, it gets practical for you as the believer. Those first 11 verses say, here's what God did for you. And then in verse 12 it says, so you're supposed to do this back to God. Everybody with me? So so in chapter 12, Uh, It says uh, that our response is to be a response of thanksgiving. Now, it doesn't use the word thanksgiving, but that's what it is. It is saying, since you know God did all this for you, how do you thank him? How do you show your gratitude? How do you express gratitude? How deeply thankful you are for your salvation. That when you die, you're gonna be with Him. That when you leave this world, and not even that so much as when you leave this world, but even in the, not just the, as one preacher said, not just the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now, He will be with you beginning this day when you surrender your life to Him. So He says, here's our response. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. Give yourself as a living, holy sacrifice. Now listen to me. Listen to me. That's what God wants from you. You could say, uh, Pastor, I mean, you could be like the girl in the little story I told at the beginning who said, how do I get more of God? How do I get more of God? Here's Here's the answer. You you could be sitting out there right now, going, "Well, I want to. I want, you know, I don't want to just go through Thanksgiving or really any day of my life, just kind of passively going through that. How how can I really express to God? How can I really demonstrate? How can I really show God how thankful I am for what He's done for me? Here's the answer. He wants you. He doesn't want what you can do. He doesn't want what you can give. He doesn't want a substitute. He wants you to stop pushing back and saying, well, God, I, I would give you me, but I'm not ready to give you me yet. But I tell you what, I'll give you some volunteer time. I tell you what, God, I tell you what, I can't give you me, I can't give you me, but I tell you, I'm going to up my my financial giving. I'm going to raise that a little bit. How about that? Can I just say to you, thank you for serving. Thank you for volunteering. Thank you for giving financially. But can I tell you, he wants you. He wants your life. He wants you to surrender to him. Now, some of you are scared to death to give him you because you think you're going to have a testimony like David List and he's going to call you to Africa. (laughs) You think if you walked up to this altar today or you went home today and you got in the bedroom and knelt down by your bed and said, you know what, God, I've been pushing back. I mean, I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know if I die right now, I'd go to heaven. But I know, God, you've been dealing with me about getting nearer and making myself available to you and giving you more of myself. And I've pushed back and I've offered other things instead and said, I can't give you this, but I'll give you this over here. And God, I see it, man. Pastor's message today just dealt with me about that and and Lord, I am here to give you everything. I want to give you everything. See, it's not about us really getting something else from him. Again, there's nothing else he can give you. He, is, he has done it all and laid it right out on the table and said, you can have it. But it's about us giving ourself to him. Stop pushing back. And that's in worship. It's in worship. I want here's a mindset I want to see you change. And I want to tell you that I'm trying to work on that in my own life too. And that is that, that worship is every day. Worship is every morning. Worship is, it is how I live my life. It is, how I, it is how I talk to people. It's how I interact with people. It's how I react to people. You know, I knew at the hospital... On my forms, every one of my forms was Reverend Hardis, and I really appreciated them putting that up there, because if my wife would talk to them, she'd say it's not a Reverend. Believe me, <laughs> he's irreverent. That's what he is. <laughs> but you know, those nurses would come in there and they would say, "Now, wh- who are you and what are you?" You know, I don't know if it's because I'm the age I am, but they would go, they would walk in my room and go, "Where are you?" And I'd go, I'd make an old person noise. Here. So said, and one time I was like, Are you really asking me where I am? She said, Yeah. I said, McDonald's, where are you? You know. Said, okay, so they're trying to find out, you know, if you're awake from the medicine or if you've had another stroke. I don't know what they're trying to find out, but they're at where are you and what is your name and who is the president? So I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying, and I want to tell y'all something about going to the hospital. Can I just tell you, if you've never been to the hospital, when you walk in, just go ahead and take your pants off. (laughs) Matter of fact, just leave them in the car, because they really want them off while they're checking you in. Mr. I am so tired of hearing, we need to look at your eye, take your pants off. I'm so tired (laughs) of hearing that. (laughs) Who's in the medical field in this? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, and there I am laying in the bed with my ideal, and everybody who comes in takes the covers (laughs) and (laughs) goes. Oh, man. I came in like this. Cat walked in the hospital like this. I walked out like this. Uh, Did I say all that out loud? (laughs) Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's ever gone to the hospital and they're like, get naked. (laughs) But I've got something right here. It don't matter where it is. I'm I'm sorry. I just had to, oh, I feel so much better. I tell you. (laughs) So... We worship every day. And I, I knew, seriously, I, I was going to interact with people at the hospital. And I was probably going to interact with a bunch of people who don't go to church. And so, you know, it was important that to me, you know, I, I kind of put myself in their place. And I was like, if I worked at the hospital and I didn't go to church and I found that the patient that I was serving was a Christian what could that Christian do on that hospital bed that would make me as a non-believer say, man, that's a real deal right there. I think I want some of that. See, that's, that's, where, that's how you wake up every morning. So how can I live my life today so surrendered to Jesus that unbelievers see him in me and go, that's, that's it that's it. I got a raise and that didn't make me happy. I got a different job and that didn't make me happy. I got a different spouse and that didn't make me happy. The kids moved out and went to college, thought that would make me happy. That didn't make me happy either. Got a new car, that didn't make me happy. Got a new house, that didn't make me happy. I've tried every single thing trying to find joy, but I met a guy, I met a gal from the bridge And I've been talking to them, and they've got what I'm looking for. Not because I went to their church and saw what they did on Sunday, but because I saw how they lived on Monday. And I saw how they dealt with loss. And I saw how they dealt with sickness. And I saw how they dealt with disappointment. And I saw how they dealt with grief. And you know what? They hurt like me. They cried like me. They, but... They kept a joy and a peace about them that has to be supernatural. It's not natural, and I want that. That's what we want unbelievers saying. That's what it means to be a worshiper. It isn't just Sunday. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, chapter 4, and verse 23, Jesus said, I'm seeking true worshipers. And that doesn't mean the person who can dance the most in worship, and I don't mind that. Or the person who lifts their hands the most in worship, or the person who claps, or the person who, sh- who shouts, praise the Lord, louder than anybody else. And I don't mind any of that, and we don't want to push back on that. We love it when you guys react out, outwardly during worship. It encourages us. We love that. But he's watching, man. He's looking at what we do every single day of the week, not just on Sunday. <clears throat> it's a wonderful atmosphere in here sometimes. You know, I mean, we really connect. But if that doesn't translate to how we live out there, then you know all this is fake? Is that too strong? Is it too strong to say that we sing and we worship and we lift our hands and we clap and then go out there and live a different lifestyle, a different attitude. Is it wrong to say that what we did in here must not have been real or it would have translated into how we live out there? Amen. amen, amen. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me just like you. He said, I'm looking for true worshipers. I thought, I thought it was interesting in John 4.23. He put the word true before a worshiper. So there must be fake worshipers. And then in Philippians 3 and 3, Paul says, we are true worshipers because true worshipers worship Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Peter, and I think I've got a misprint here. I've got 1 Peter, but it's actually 2 Peter. But 2 Peter chapter 2 teaches us and reminds us that we are are like priests, New Testament priests, bringing sacrifices before the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, And Paul's using here in the book of Romans, and Peter's using here in 2 Peter, he's using some Old Testament lingo. You know, because in the Old Testament, they would would slay an animal, and they would bring that slain animal and lay it on the altar. Actually, in reality, they would actually slay the animal on the altar. And that was a picture of shed blood for sin. It was a picture of the death of Jesus Christ that was to come in hundreds, thousands of years down the road. But in the Old Testament, that's how they did it. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul goes, here's what Paul says. Paul goes, that's, that system doesn't work anymore. Paul says, since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you don't have to offer animals anymore. What did Jesus say when he was hanging on the cross, cross? Do you guys remember the last thing he said? It is. Now, that meant a lot of things, but one of the primary things it meant is the old covenant. The old way of your sins being dealt with is in the past. Now, you say, well, why do we go back and still study that? Because it is a picture of Jesus. Jesus. So the whole Bible's about Jesus. The whole Bible, not just the New Testament. The Old Testament, there's so many pictures, so many types. You know, we talk about Moses a lot. Moses is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus there is. As as he rose up like a redeemer and set the people free. And, And the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis and his brothers and how they rejected him. But he rose to the throne and was able to set them free and redeem them. The people who rejected Joseph, he redeemed them. Just like Jesus. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. Jonah was in the belly of the whale how long? That's a picture of the tomb. It's a picture of Jonah coming out, picture of the resurrection. It's all about Jesus. But in the New Testament, we don't offer animals anymore because the Lamb of God has been slain. The perfect Lamb. The sinless lamb, the spotless lamb of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. Therefore, everybody say it with me, it is finished. So now what do we do then? I mean, if Jesus came and ended all that in the Old Testament, what do we do? Give yourselves a living sacrifice. That's what we do now. We don't offer animals any more. Listen to me. We lay ourselves on the altar. We lay ourselves on the altar. We don't bring an animal to lay on the altar slain, but we now we come to the altar and we lay ourselves on that altar. So really when you think about it, you get up every morning and you just kind of pray and get that mindset of God, I am All yours today. Use me. Use me, Lord. I present myself to you. What does God want? What would make God happier like a father this Thanksgiving more than anything else? Is that you would give him you. The ultimate expression of thanksgiving is when you look at God and go, you know what, God, I'm going to stop trying to offer you a substitute and I'm going to give you me. You say, Pastor, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Let me tell you what. You start praying that, you start saying that, You start asking the Holy Spirit to bring clarification to you about what that means and what that looks like in your life, and he will. He'll show you what that means. See, I can't stand up here and describe what that life is, that fully surrendered life, because it's a little bit different for me. It's going to be a little bit different for you. But what you want to do is in your mind and in your spirit say, You know what, Lord? I want to do what Pastor said. I want to do what Paul said. I want to give you the ultimate act of thanksgiving for all you've done, Romans 1 through 11. I want, to give you the, I want to thank you for Romans 1 through 11. Therefore, Paul said, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Since Jesus did all that, give him yourself. Let me show you a couple of things on the very last page of my notes, and that gives you hope. Let me give you a couple of stories real quick. In the Old Testament, do you all remember King Saul? but God didn't want Saul to be the king. Who did he want for the king? He wanted David. But Israel wanted Saul. They wanted Saul. They wanted a king like everybody else. As a matter of fact, God didn't even really want Saul or David because he was the king. He was their king. But it was like Israel said, well, other countries have a king that they can see who wears a crown and how many of you know sometimes if you'll whine enough to God, he'll give you a little bit of what you want? How many of you ever had God do that and go, I'd like to give it back? <laughs> How many of you know that God's will for your life is what you choose for yourself if you had the good sense to choose it? I'm going to ask that question again because that went whoosh, right over some of y'all. How many of you know that the will of God is for your life? It's what you would choose yourself If we have the good sense to choose it. You know what most of us think about the will of God? We think, man, if I surrender myself to him and I give him my will and I just give him everything, he's going to ask me to do stuff and it ain't going to be fun and my life's not going to be enjoyable anymore and I'm going to be busy 24-7 and I just can't give him everything because he'll ruin my life. I mean, really, we don't come out and say that, but we really think it. He's going to call me to be a pastor. He's going to call me to be a preacher. He's going to call me to be a missionary. And the women are going, and I'm going to have to wear those real high-top shoes that lace up all the way to the knee. Because, you know, they think about women missionaries look like that. But they don't. See, uh, they're, they're like, I can't give God everything. Because you know why we're scared? We really think God's going to mess us up. We think God's going to mess up our life. We think God's going to make us miserable. We think, man, and we think we're going to look back on doing God's will and go, man, I wish I'd never told him he could have all of me. Can I tell you that the will of God for your life is what you would choose for yourself if you had the good sense to choose it? Because everything God wants for you makes life better for you. I didn't say there would not any sacrifice involved. I didn't say there weren't any hard times involved. I didn't say there weren't any difficulties involved. I didn't say you wouldn't get criticized. I didn't say that it would all be peaches and cream and Tiptoe through the tulips and all that stuff. I don't even know where I got all that. But anyway, I didn't say it would be all that. But I'm telling you, it would be the most fulfilling life, the most joyful life you could ever live is to live his will in your life. So he comes to uh, Saul the king, the prophet Samuel does, and he says, Saul, God wants you to do this. I'm not going to go into the details. It's too long. God wants you to do this exactly like this. And then I'm gonna come back in a few days and see if you did this exactly like this. And you can read that on your own. It's in, um, it's in the writings of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, right in there. Don't read it now, I'm preaching. But, but so Saul goes away and he comes back, and I mean a Samuel, the prophet Samuel, goes away after he's told Saul to do it God's way, comes back and he sees and hears, that, Sam, that Saul did what he wanted to do. He did kind of some of the stuff God wanted him to do, but then he looked at the valuable things that God wanted him to destroy, and he said, man, I hate to destroy that. I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm going to hold on to it, and some of it was livestock and animals, and I'm going to take a little bit of it, and I'm going to go to the altar, and I'm going to offer that up to God as a burnt offering. And so when Samuel comes and finds that Saul didn't do God's will, but did a modified version of his own will, he looked at Samuel. Samuel looked at Saul and he said this. He said, he doesn't want your sacrifice if you're not going to obey him. In other words, he doesn't want a substitute to obey what he said is better than what you're offering instead of your obedience. Is anybody getting me out there? We do it all the time, guys. God, I can't do that, but I'll do this. Hey, God, I can't can't give that, but tell you what, I'll, I'll do this over here instead. To obey what God said is better. Better for who? Better for you, better for us. Hey, better for God, is that important? And then the prophet Amos ran into a, another situation where the Israelites turned away from God, but they kept on doing their festivals and they kept on singing their songs and they kept on with their religious uh, ceremony. How many of you know if you've got a whole bunch of religious rituals and religious ceremonies, you can get a long way from God and keep doing those ceremonies and those rituals and fool yourself into thinking that everything's okay with you and God. Did I just preach something right there? You know, that's one thing I love about the bridge, and it makes some people uncomfortable. We don't have a lot of rituals around here. We don't have a lot of ceremony, a lot of pomp and circumstance. You know, we, we're, we're real around here. But the Israelites kept on doing their religious activity, but their hearts were far from God. That's important for you to know that you can keep doing God stuff, saying God words, serving in God's house, doing God things, and be a long way from God. And here's what Amos said to them. Now, if you haven't read the book of Amos, i got to tell you, buddy, he would have gotten voted out of a lot of churches. He was a straight-up guy. In chapter 5, verse 21, that's not going to come up on the screen, so listen real carefully. So this is the prophet Amos. He's speaking for God, and he says to the children of Israel, I hate This is God talking. I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. And look at verse 23, because this comes right down where we are. Take away from me the noise of your songs. He said, you know what? If you're not going to give me your life Monday through Saturday, don't walk in here on Sunday and throw your hands up like you have give me your life. I gotta tell you strong stuff, guys. Can we take it here at the bridge? Can we hear that word of God at the bridge and say, Lord, let it be on us? How many of y'all receive that word for the bridge? Don't go out Monday through Saturday not serving God, and then walk in here on Sunday and pretend that we're all submitted to God. Come on, we're not that kind of church, are we? Amen? Amen. And that's what Amos said. He, said. he said, Israel, you think you're fooling God, you're not fooling God. Well, you might be out there and go, well, pastor, what kind of heart does God want? I mean, what can I offer him he will accept? You know what, I'm glad you asked. Because when David repented of his sin with Bathsheba, because see, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he offered God burnt offerings. He went through all the religious stuff, but he didn't repent. He didn't repent of his sin. He, he had done this sin. He committed this sin. And he was like, you know, I'll get right with God because I'll do a bunch of good things, and God will weigh my sin with Bathsheba against all the really good things I've done, and then my good things will outweigh that. No. You've got to get real with God about it. And so when David got right with God, here's what he said in Psalm 51, 17. He said the sacrifices of God or the sacrifices that please God are a broken spirit and a contrite, and that word means repentant heart. In other words, here's what David was saying. David was saying, I offered God everything except me. I offered him everything except me. We went through the burnt offerings. We went through all the Old Testament stuff you do. But God wouldn't accept it because in the, in the reality of my life, I was hiding my sin. I was hiding what I had done. I would not give him myself. So here's what I'm saying to you today, and I'm done. If you want to give God the thanksgiving He deserves, then you've got to genuinely turn your desires over to Him. Turn your heart over to Him. Stop pushing back. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're not ready to meet God. But you know God's dealing with you and calling you to a deeper walk with Him, a more committed walk with Him, He's calling you to that sanctified life. He's calling you to that spirit filled life. And if you want to say thank you to God this Thanksgiving the way you never have before, lay yourself on the altar. Stop laying everything else on the altar and go, here you go, God, here you go, here you go. And lay yourself there and say, Lord, you can have me. And again, As you say that to him and pray and seek him, he's going to show you what that is. He's going to show you what that looks like. And he's never going to call you to do anything that he doesn't turn right around and empower you to do it. He's going to give you everything you need to do it. That's what will make Jesus' thanksgiving the best it can be when you give him everything. Let's all stand together.